Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. Well, thanks for getting on, guys. I'm excited to have you on. You guys are slaying it really quick. Uh, we're already recording, so why don't you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Yeah, go okay. ahead, Liz. Yeah, so I'm Lacey Stevens, and I am with Keller Williams Realty and have been with them for coming up on seven years and have been a realtor investor for that time. Yeah, my name Keller is... Williams, where? What city? Um, in Draper. Draper, Utah. Silicon yeah. Slopes, the other side of the right. point of the mountain. Yeah. Awesome. My name is Eli Stevens. I've been an investor in real estate for about uh, seven years now. Bought my first duplex in uh, 2012. So what is that? Yeah seven years and uh, it's been just kind of leveling up things since then you know the uh, duplex did the house hacking and then we got a fourplex and then eight and just kind of went from there so awesome you and you guys did it I mean you've done an awesome job at growing your portfolio and that's why I really wanted to have you on you're a power couple you guys work together you invest together and you've made a lot of sacrifices and you know, maybe uh, been a really good example for people that want to invest. And so I want to hear about your story and how did you get into investing seven years ago? How do you do it as a couple? And, you know, what are some of the sacrifices you've made to see this massive amount of success and, and equity growth and growing your portfolio that you've seen? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and start, Eli, with the yeah. So basically I had some friends. I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and I had some uh, family friends who had invested in rental properties. And it just kind of all the time, whenever I talked to them, it just seemed like they were crushing it, that they were growing things, that they were uh, making all this passive income. And so I was always talking to them and there was always just kind of this idea in my mind, like, oh, wow, what these guys are doing is awesome. And so I, I started going out with them and uh, went out with them to like check out their rentals and then look at other ones. And we would go look at listings and just kind of like, okay, what makes for a good rental? What makes for a bad rental? A lot of it uh, was multifamily. So duplexes, fourplexes, and et cetera. And so when I graduated college, the very first thing I thought was, is okay, I need to buy uh, something to live in that I could house hack, right? That I could live in one side and rent the other and yeah, duplex fit that bill. And so I saved up. I wasn't making very much money right out of college. And it was kind of scrimping pennies for a long time. And I remember I, I, I found this amazing duplex. And the only way that I could afford to get it was if I cashed out my 401k and paid massive penalties uh, because I was still in my 20s <laughs> to, to right. pay out, cash out the 401k. And I did it. And in retrospect, it seemed wow. fairly reckless. Luckily for me, it worked out uh, really well. So that was kind of the beginning of a lot of that. Well, you got to take risks, right? You know, real estate, it's an investment. It's, it's not um, risk-free by any means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that was very apt of you to ask about sacrifices because there definitely has been in this whole process, things that, you know, you make these sacrifices. It's not like we've been able to buy all the toys that a lot of people, it seems, have been able to, like trucks, and I see four-wheelers and amazing cabins and things that people have, and I think, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That'd be pretty yeah. cool to have a lot of that, but uh, don't, we don't really go for a lot of that, at least not yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. but your uh, portfolio is pretty dang good. Yeah. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Lacey, or talk about... Yeah, so after we so we had gotten married and shortly after I got my real estate license and started that whole venture and I was really just working more so with like 
um, existing homes. I did a lot of new construction, working with buyers, sellers. And then from there, we had this duplex that Eli had bought before we got married. And and at the time, we were cash flowing really well on it. And so we thought, well, why would we sell this? But at the same time, we were like, let's kind of start looking else, just kind of what else is out there. Not really knowing like how much equity we had in that duplex. So when we we came across a friend who had a project that would allow us to be able to take that money from our duplex and with some additional like real estate money that we would be able to go to four units. And um, that decision is really what kind of launched us because we hit that market at the perfect time of just from those four, we were able to go to then like eight. And then from there we have spun off and gotten, you know, single family homes. We're in the midst of getting some condos and, um, just, just adding more and more to that portfolio. So. Awesome. Awesome. So you guys, I mean, you started with the duplex and, and the, the thing that I heard is we weren't making, or Eli, you weren't making a crazy amount of money out of college. And I think a lot of people feel like, oh, only rich people can buy rental properties and I don't make enough money. And, and, you know, when I bought, let's see, when I bought our first flip in Provo, west of the freeway, about 300 South, 1800 West, you know, not an amazing location, but I think I was doing summer sales, making about 40,000 a year. So I wasn't making a lot either, but, um, you know, it was a sacrifice and we could have gone and bought a nice town home or, or a condo, but we bought this old crappy, disgusting house and used every penny that we had to buy it. So tell me a little bit about, um, during the process of growing from a duplex to fourplexes to an eightplex to now a whole bunch of single families and condos along the way, were you ever tempted to maybe just go buy a big, beautiful million dollar house for yourself or what was that like? Yeah. Um, the phrase that I, that just kind of like, when we talk about this, when you're asking this question, the phrase that comes to my mind is, and it's kind of gimmicky and it's one of those ones that you hear, but it's relevant is they say, and I think it's a Gordon Ramsay thing. I think he's the one who said it was the, the idea is to try to live like nobody else now. So you can live like nobody else later. Yep. And, and then you see those other things where, you know, they say, Hey, if you put in $100 in XYZ, whatever investment at this age and fast forward, it would be X amount at later ages. So the mantra, the idea in my mind was, okay, now's the time to sacrifice. I don't want to be, I mean, like I'll probably still sacrifice, but um, when I'm 50, 60, 70, but I'll, I'm, I'm going to be sacrificing more now. I feel like if I was to create a lifestyle where I got used to living a certain way, then I wouldn't ever want to stop living that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yep. so it's like, well, I'll get to that lifestyle, but maybe don't get there so fast that you'd ever want to leave that lifestyle. It's really hard to go down when right. you've, you've tasted the, the nice cars, the toys that you were talking about, the cabins. And, right. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I love that. Yeah. Live like other people won't. So someday yeah. you can live like other people can't. And to answer your question too, Sam, I, I feel like when we bought, when we took that money from the duplex initially and went to the fourplex, I mean, we literally took every penny to put that money down for, to make it work for that fourplex. And then we did the same thing again for the eightplex and then continued, you know, I mean, I will say now, like we, um, just recently sold like a of ours, but we actually, we bought at a really good time. So we ended up making good money and it was still, even with the, the homes that we have bought, we just can't ever like make a stupid financial move, I guess. Like we're, uh -huh. I, or we try not to at least. Um, but we, um, have just always tried to be like really smart in that regard of not, not leveraging too much, but at the same time, like pushing ourselves enough to like really get to that point where Eli said that like later on, we're not going to have to worry 
about this because we have all this cash flow coming in from our properties. Right. No, I love that. You might as well sacrifice now, buy the investment properties and and let those investment properties pay for the toys or pay for the nice home or pay mm-hmm. for the vacations in the future. So delay that gratification a little bit. I, I was thinking about what you just said when you said you scraped every penny you could to buy that fourplex. By the way, where was that fourplex? I'm curious. Oh yeah, that one was out in Harriman. So that was that a fig fourplex? Yes. Yeah, that was, was. Awesome. So you yeah. guys bought it for what? 500,000? Yeah, around there. Yep. Yeah, That's amazing. Like, and what honest, that was one of those ones where I wish we had more money at that point. I know, I'm such like a home if run. We had, had so much money at that time we would have. Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting time in the market because no one else was building fourplexes and the market, the multifamily market hadn't hit this crazy hot phase where you can sell for five and a half caps. Mm-hmm. And so I, you guys bought it at like an eight and a half cap, right? 8.6. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. I remember calculating those at one point when we sold those, that fourplex, and this isn't me, like this is, I guess, the podcast to talk about this. Uh, I'll say that I later did the calculation on the ROI and for the money we put down and then what we got out, it was 167% return. <laughs> On investment, yeah. I was like, "Holy, it was crazy!" I love it. I don't know if this is a cussing podcast, but that, that seems like the appropriate time to do it. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a hell yeah for that. That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, it was gnarly. I was just looking at a return with. Um, so we bought a little house in Jordan Willows and Lehigh, and lived in it for two years, and literally same thing. Like all of our money that we had, we put into it, and. And then we started making better money, but, and so we moved out and bought a little bit bigger house and, but we house hacked that and flipped it as well. And anyways, we just sold this little house in Lehigh for a hundred thousand more than we bought it for four years ago. Wow. And wow. for That's two cool. of those years, it cash flow at 500 a month. That's amazing. Oh my and God. love it. you guys, you know, it, it's harder to do that now. And, and it's harder for you guys to repeat your fourplex purchases mm-hmm. now you're probably not going to be able to uh for the foreseeable future unless we hit a downturn but good for you guys for being smart enough disciplined with your money making the right sacrifices saying hey let's go buy this fourplex it's it was i mean people can say you were lucky and i'm even saying right now yeah i think you were a little bit lucky with where the market <laughs> was yeah but you don't get lucky by spending your money on nice cars and and a nice house and Right. Going on amazing vacations. You know, I have friends that are buying all these big houses, then they still don't have an investment. They've been married 10, 15 years. They still don't have any investments. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know, you're buying a million dollar house or you're buying a $50,000 RV Mm because you want to have fun, but yet you've never been able to invest and you have no cash flow. You know, if you lose your job, you're done. Right. Yeah. There's that, uh, the phrase a rising tide raises all boats, right? When the tide goes up, all the boats go up. And so I'll be the first to admit that what the market has done while we've invested has been nothing, but yeah, luck has been a certain percent, like a a big chunk of that. But what we tell a lot of investors that like clients that we speak to, because there's, there's kind of that question, right? A lot of times, especially right now, there's that question of like, okay, what if the market was to do a downturn? What if we go into a recession? What if we do all this? And what we always say is, is it's like, just make sure you hope for the best and plan for the worst, right? If you make sure that the money, it's just, it's just numbers at the end of the day, you run the numbers and you say, Hey, what, what would happen if I had this rental and I was not able to fill it for one, two, three months, right? Would I still be, would I be okay? Right? What if maybe this rent amount that I'm projecting I get, what if I got maybe 10%, 20% less than that? Would I still yeah. be okay, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's running the numbers and almost playing devil's advocate against yourself. And at the end of the day, it's like just making sure that the numbers still make sense. So it's like, don't, I tell people, don't try to time the market because a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'll, I'm going to hold off and wait for the market to crash. And I've been saying, I've, I've been kind of just, kind of telling Lacey and talking, I was like, Hey, we might see a market correction in the next six months. I've been saying that for the last five years. Hmm. So it's not about trying to time it instead. It's just, okay, make sure it's a sound investment, no matter what the market is. Absolutely. You know, they call it stress testing. Do you guys know why they call it stress testing? No. Cause when rents drop, you're freaking stressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's not really why they call it that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely right. Look at this property and we stress test every deal we do. And we just made an offer on a $10 million property this morning and stress test. Um, it, it does okay. We're not in love with it, but the location is absolutely amazing. Just amazing, amazing location. And it passes the stress test. It doesn't pass with flying colors, but I'm a lot less worried about it because I know that in that area, the vacancy never got below or above 5% in this location. And, and it's in between two universities. You guys will know right where it is. It's in Northwest Provo, right off of state street. Mm-hmm. And, um, that that location's unbeatable. It's affordable housing and a location with two universities with over 30,000 students, a new hospital that just was renovated and, and a bunch of other jobs. So I think that's people thing people don't do is they don't stress test. They just kind of buy to buy. But mm-hmm. you guys were very smart. Your purchases you made would have done amazing in, in any downturn that came. But I, I like what you said. Don't wait, Eli. Just you can't wait because you'll never out save the market. You know, right. you You'll, you're, you're losing thousands while the, the market's going up. And when the market crashes, it's going to crash. But right. guess what? You're going to make back anything that any equity that goes down during the crash if you just hold on to the asset. Well, there's that popular right. phrase in stock market trading where they say you can never guess the top and you can never guess the bottom because everyone does this thing. It's I don't know why we do this, but a lot of times we'll look at like charts of different like stock and you go, what if I bought right here and you point to the very bottom, you know, and you go, yeah, then you'd be really, really rich. Like, and then you say, and then I would sell right here. And it's at the very top, you know, and you go, yeah, but you can never guess the top and you can never guess the bottom, you know, (laughs) my buddy and I were hot tubbing in his hot tub last night after I got done it with work at 11 o'clock and, and he's like, oh man, I'm oil's giving me an aneurysm. It's, it's down 15% today. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know how you do it, man. Like I just buy real estate and I've never really worried about what the market's doing because I know at the end of the day, I'm going to hold on to it until I don't need it. And at that point I'll sell whenever it's a good deal for me to sell. But going back, I, I had a, a comment and I haven't, I don't know if I've told anybody this ever, but I'm really impressed with the way you've built your portfolio. I have a lot of investors who make Three, four, five hundred thousand a year, but I have a lot that also make a million, two million. I have a guy worth three hundred million. It's easy for them to invest in real estate, and and I wanted you on the the call because I don't know how much you guys make, but I do know that you've bought a lot more than you should have been able to, and a lot more than you would have been able to had you been buying all the nice cars, houses, and boats, cabins, and and four wheelers. But when we sold, let's see, we sold our house in Provo. That was our first flip. And we moved into a rental while we were buying in duplex. And there was a point where I had everything lined up. I knew I needed this much for the down payment. I needed this much for moving costs. I needed this much for uh, closing costs. And I had a a few repairs that had to happen in, in the duplex. And I went to go uh, move stuff out of our storage unit and I didn't have $100 in my bank account. And I've never told anybody that. My wife didn't even know. I I don't tell Lauren a lot of the times when I'm stressed out because I don't want her to stress because that just stresses me more. But I had to borrow $100 because I didn't realize it was the first of the month and and my, my payment was due. So my stuff was stuck in storage. And I was about to get paid. I had a bunch of closings coming coming up in a couple weeks. So I was gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. But, but it would have looked really dumb trying to move into a duplex with none of our stuff. So I had to borrow a hundred dollars just, just to go pay the, the storage unit people to get my stuff out of storage and be able to move in, into our duplex. And man, it, it was really stressful, big sacrifice, the places that we lived. And then we didn't have enough money to to put AC in. So we had this crappy swamp cooler and hundred degree weather in July and August that summer. And we're dipping our baby in the in the ice bath like five times a day. <laughs> She's oh overheating. Gosh, but yeah. um, you guys have any fun, uh, crazy stories that you want to share about sacrifices you've made to get where you're at, where you're at? Yeah, Lace, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like when you were talking, actually, the first thing that came to my mind, and it's not like exactly investment. I mean, I guess that's where it led, but like probably one of the biggest sacrifices was getting into real estate for me. Like 
for me personally, like when I quit my full-time corporate job and decided like, this is what I'm going to do. And it, there was a moment for Eli and I, when we had moved into our house and we're newly married that I was like, what, like, do we, do I go back to like my corporate job at this point, you know? Yeah. And we just decided, which that made all the difference, like with an, with our investments in the long run, just because like Eli got his, his license later on, but like, we've been able to represent ourselves. And then also like through us investing, um, like other people have seen our story and they're like, Oh, we want to be doing what you're doing. And so it's one of those, like I talk or Eli and I talk about this a lot, like those pivotal moments in your life that there's some decisions that you make that you're like, Oh, that, I mean, that wasn't, that wouldn't have made that big of a deal, but that was one for us personally that I'm like, our lives would be so drastically different, you know, had I not decided, okay, we're going to continue to go down this path. And, and I was so glad that Eli, he's like, no, just give it a couple more months. Like we're going to get through it. We'll, we're, you know, it's going to, it's going to work out, you know? And then from there, it was just like, I kind of knew from the get go for Eli and I both, it was like, you kind of find your niche in real estate. And I, even though, um, money was coming in from like, working with buyers and sellers and, and, uh, kind of the new construction I was doing, but it was really, I knew our niche was going to be investing Yeah, just right. because there's such an excitement for both of us when it comes to investing. I love running the numbers. I love like seeing kind of the direction of like long-term where we can go, where we're headed. So Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love it too. I, I'm very nerdy. I'm not calling you a nerd. Uh, I kind of am, but <laughs> <laughs> I love running the numbers. It, it just, it makes me so excited to see what mm-hmm. you can do. And um, so your big sacrifice for you, Lacey, was, was getting away from the 40 year prison sentence of <laughs> yes. a corporate job, right? right? I mean, that's what yeah. it is. It's a ball and chain that, that sucks most people in because they can't stand the thought of not having a paycheck every two weeks, even if they hate their job. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my good friend, Tyler was, his uncle was over and his uncle was like, man, let's, let's talk about some business ideas. And he's like, well, maybe I could do that while I'm still working at my job. And he just can't, can't fathom both of both me and Tyler are self-employed and have been our whole lives. And he can't fathom not having this paycheck every two weeks from a job he absolutely hates mm-hmm. can't stand it. And, and so you had a great job. It sounds like corporate America. I mean, doing yeah. fantastic things. You're, I can tell you, I know you, you're very smart, very capable. And, and at the same time, it was probably still pretty scary walking away from, from that paycheck. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And it was one of those things too, that I think Eli probably felt very similarly when he bought his duplex. People were like, what are you thinking? You're crazy. And my boss came to me. He's like, Lacey, what are you thinking? Like, you want to go do real estate? Like, why are you doing that? You know? And, uh, and I felt kind of like, as I got into it, I'm like, am I crazy? No, I felt like a big gut, like decision to, to do this. And it's allowed me to be like, still like build a business and still be a full-time mom and, be with our kids and it's just worked out awesome and to grow our investments and work with amazing people. So, yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, I've loved having the freedom to, to be around my kids, you know, and, and that's one thing with risk, there's huge reward. And the risk for me was I didn't know anybody in Utah when I got my real estate license, I had just flipped my first house and, and it was tough getting started in real estate. I hadn't even finished college mm-hmm. yet. And, um, but, but, you know, fast forward a few years later, I was able to move my office to my house when our last, uh, little boy was born. And I just kind of hung out, worked from home for the first year of his life and got to see him a lot and took Heidi to school all the time, made sure Lauren had time to go work out and get away from the crying baby. And, and so real estate, there's a lot of stress, a lot of risk, 
but also a huge amount of reward. And, and that goes right along with your guys' real estate portfolio. You've had a huge amount of risk and a huge amount of stress. And, you know, you've got to find renters and nobody likes managing rental properties. But at the same time, you have this amazing lifestyle being built where I don't even know how old you guys are. I'm guessing you're in your, your early 30s, right? Yeah, like mid 30s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty soon you're, you'll be able to do something that most people won't. You can walk away probably by the time you're 40 and, and not have to sell real estate or even work, just manage your investments. And, and so um, I love that, that we're in an industry and, and we're able to invest and create this amazing lifestyle. Um, it does take some being uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, um, I think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real estate, I'll say like, because um, my background, just a little off topic, is more in, I, I've kind of gotten into software development, software engineering, marketing, um, online marketing, all that stuff. And so this real estate has been kind of a bit of a different industry. I've kind of been doing both, right? Where it's like I, I've done uh, the corporate nine to five stuff as well as doing the real estate on the side. And real estate has always just been this thing for me that it's like, it's, it's, it feels like more secure than other things that I've done. I, I've had other ventures, uh, tech ventures that have failed and blown up. I've invested some in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And real estate always just kind of feels like this kind of like this safe, warm blanket, you know? And I say that. Security blanket. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, and I realize, you know, I wasn't there really in the real estate market during 2007, 2008 and all that. So I haven't seen the bloodbath. I've heard from it and seen a lot of people that were affected by it. But it's like, it's just, in my opinion, it's not this get rich quick. I've said this before. It's, it's more of like, it's let's get rich slow. Is there anything wrong with getting rich slow? It's fine. It's like, let's live life. We're still getting rich, but there's no need to rush get rich fast. I mean, we can do get rich fast and take out hard money loans, do all kinds of things if we wanted to, and we could take risks and people do and they crush it. But in my mind, it's like just that very common sense yep. stuff like back of napkin envelope, writing down numbers. Does this make sense? Yes. I love it. Yeah. And I, I love the saying, it's, it's not about getting rich quick. It's about getting rich for sure. Right. No, no, exactly. I like that better. I like that better. Yeah. <laughs> So tell me about some, some giant, stupid, ridiculous mistakes that you guys have made. I'll tell one. So one that we just learned about, here's just like a lesson learned and I'm glad I learned this lesson. Yeah. Do you want me to get into it, Lace? Yeah, go for it. Is, um, so everyone talks about, well, one of the things was just kind of common practice. Best practice is when you buy rental properties, set up an LLC and preferably a series LLC because- then you can slice off uh, an individual series or a page or a chapter, whatever you want to call it, of the LLC to house each one of your different units uh, for real estate investing. And that's for a liability reason primarily, where if something happens, they sue the LLC in that specific one and not you or your entire portfolio. Great. So we did that and we transferred uh, one of our rental units into the LLC and then we sold it. A couple months ago. Well, lesson learned, just something to be aware of. We've learned the hard way is before you sell it, deed the property back into your own personal name. Do not sell it on the name of the LLC. And I might say this and some people listening might be like, well, duh. But for us, this was a bit of an aha. Uh, It just kind of throws a wrench in pretty much every gear you can possibly imagine. We were doing a 1031 tax exchange of those funds that we did. And it just blew up everything mm-hmm. with the lending, with the 1031 money, that the LLC. I mean, so anyways, word to the wise is right before you sell a property, you have an LLC, deed it back into your own personal name. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and specifically, what does that do to your 1031 exchange and your lending? Really, the, the biggest thing that it causes, and it's a bit of a catch-22, is, is that it requires the LLC. If you do that, the 1031 company will require that the LLC name is on the real estate purchase contract, the REPSI, which can, and in our case, will bork everything from a lending perspective because then the, a lot of times lenders and underwriters will not, uh, will not approve that with the LLC on there 
for a variety of different reasons. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, we can't use the 1031 money unless it's on there, but we can't get a loan unless it's on there. And so it's, it's, unless it's not on there. So anyways, it just messes everything up. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's a huge, huge, uh, I love that you said that. So really important. First of all, if you own rental properties and you don't want to lose everything, put them in an LLC mm-hmm. because someone's going to fake or for real slip on the ice and sue you. It happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then only that specific asset is in an LLC and is affected. Now I'm not an attorney caveat, you know, I, or just disclaimer, I'm, I'm not a, not a real estate attorney, but that's what you should do. And a series LLC is really nice as well. But yeah, if, if you're going to sell it and end up wanting to do a 1031 exchange, absolutely deed it back into your name. And most title companies, if you have a relationship, will do it for free or, or do it for mm-hmm. 20, 30 bucks, you know? Totally. My good friend Grace Sang just did that. She had like 11 properties in Indiana. And luckily her, her title company caught it. They said, hey, um, how about let's deed it, deed it out first before you start trying to do this 1031. Right. Um, but that's huge. And then as soon as you close on a new property, throw it back into an LLC out of your exactly. name. Yep. Because the thing is, is lenders, they want to give you a loan. If your LLC doesn't make money or if it only makes a little bit of rent every year, you can't get a loan in, in the name of that LLC. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. You have to have income. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, so same thing with 1031. You can't get a loan in your name and use the 1031 funds because the 1031 funds are in the name of that LLC. And it has to has to be directly reinvested into that same LLC name. So, right. yeah, mm-hmm. serious crossover issues. I'm sorry you guys had to go through that, but yeah. hopefully yeah. someone benefits from from that lesson. The the yeah, silver lining is sure. we all benefit from it in the sense that us as well. And to be honest, silver lining is is at least we learned this now. It could have it could have been a lot lot worse. So, hey, the good news yeah. is now you don't have tax bases. Now you can do whatever you want with that money, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then just another thing too, just kind of lessons learned. I feel like this is in regards to filling uh, rentals is I feel like early on, my personality is very high octane. I get stressed pretty easily. Uh And I have had to, over the years, step back and, um, and I say this in regards to like filling our rentals, I have made mistakes in the past where I'm like, we got to fill it. We got to fill it. We've got so many, you know, that we've got to fill. We've got to get these guys in that it is worth it to step back, take a minute, take the time to rent background credit checks, do all of your due diligence up front. You would, I would rather, at least for me personally, would rather even miss out on a month's worth of rent and have a really awesome renter in there for a year, a couple years, whatever, than have a really awful renter and have to go through that whole mess. So it's just, it, it's just worth it to take the time. Well, and there's so many tools out there. Oh my gosh. That are just easy. I, I just had a, oh, and I just remembered I'm supposed to call this client. He rented out. He didn't do background or credit. And it's so easy. I mean, KSL or, or Rentler.com, you don't have to do anything. Literally, you put an ad up. You just say, hey, click on the link and the, the applicants do all the work for you. They enter in all their info and they complete the background check on themselves and the credit check and it gets emailed to you. I mean, it's literally will take you no time at all. But then just look at it. And, and so I've, I've been teaching people, my clients, to do that. And I think we've avoided some very serious, seriously bad tenants. We had this one couple that said, oh, yeah, we had a couple legal issues. And <laughs> so my client was like, well, should I run a background check? And I'm like, dude, don't even ask me that. Like, of course yeah, you do. Run a yeah. background check. Well, they said it was 10 years ago, but they were arrested for shoplifting last year. These are 30-year-old people. <laughs> right. And possession of drugs last year. And so obviously it wasn't just in the past as, as recently right. as last year. They're getting arrested, going to jail and doing drugs and they have kids. So, I mean, that's a huge red, red flag that you're yeah. going to have some serious issues in, uh, and a it, few other, just like quick tips totally. about this, just a few like quick bullets. If you meet with a renter, prospective renter, and they are eagerly wanting to give you 
cash or checks and they want to move in fast, that's a red flag, right? Means that they're getting evicted or something's going on, right? If you meet with them and they cannot stop telling you about every problem in their life, like I was just in the hospital last night, I just did this. And I'm like, I get it, like bad things happen to people, but there's some people who they want to tell you about all the bad things in their life. That's a red flag, right? Because those bad things are not going to stop, right? Yeah. There's a few of these little gotchas, you know? Well, and, and you know, I had, a, I had a tenant like this and, you know, you have to legally take the first qualified um, tenant, right? And, right. But this guy, he wasn't qualified. He, he applied and he was very eager to write me this huge check. Mm-hmm. So I looked at his credit. It was terrible. And, and they had had a premature baby and I felt bad for him. And at the end of the day, it's very enticing to help people for me. But I, I won't do it unless I have some backstops in place. And so he, he, he was able to come up with a great deposit and also six months of rent in advance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Maybe at, at month seven, I'll, I'll have to evict him. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I'm, I'm in Utah. That's a state where it's very landlord friendly. If people are trying to hose you and not pay rent, then right. it'll be simple to get them out. But I, I own, the only reason I accepted him and made him qualified as a tenant is I did read uh, his credit report. His background report was fantastic. I don't think he's very good with his money. But I felt like my risk was fairly low with with a good a good deposit, and knowing how to approach it up front. If all of a sudden at month seven he stops paying, and I had no idea why, I didn't know to expect it. I you know, so it's all about how you approach it. So mm-hmm. I have his rent scheduled in Rentler.com, which is a free service by the way, to start on you know month number seven, day one. If day two, if it's late, there's a fee. Day three, there's a there's a fee. Day four, if it's late, there's a fee. Day five, he gets an eviction notice. And I'm going to remind him the month before, hey, buddy, you know, remember you prepaid through month six and uh, I'll be expecting the rent on on day one and there's no excuses. You've had plenty of time to save some more money to pay rent. So mm-hmm. let's make sure we make it happen. And I think a lot of people just want to get a rental and and they don't want to go through the extra effort. And Right. Unfortunately, that's not a very good approach to real estate investing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do you guys think we're at in the market? I'm curious. You think we're at the top? I mean, Utah is still pretty hot. Uh, sales are slowing down a tiny bit, but I mean, still hard to find a good deal. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like sales have, like you had mentioned, kind of those gains that we were seeing when we were doing the fourplex and got the eightplex. It's that has definitely slowed. However, I don't see whenever people come to me really anxious about, oh my gosh, we're going to see this burst. I I'm waiting and this, this frenzy of like, I'm going to wait for it to slow down. Not here. Like not in my, not in my opinion, not in Utah. Um, there's two, much um stability first of all there's too much growth too many jobs coming here yeah too many jobs i mean yeah we do need to have salaries increase more in my opinion within the state but i feel like there's just too much stability and like the economy is too great for us to like just totally see a huge drop or, you know, but it has definitely slowed those year over year gains. We were, we were like 10% consistently. Um, I think when I was looking at the NAR stats, it's about for single family homes, six to 7% this year, but condos 10% this year Yep, that are supposed to rise. So, um, yeah, it's still a great, great state to invest in. And all, I have so many clients moving in from out of state, Colorado, California, uh-huh. all over the place that everyone's coming here to Utah. So, yeah. And to answer that question, I really think it depends on what product we're talking about, because really it's like when we talk like, oh, real estate blanket statement, it's like, okay, well, what is it? Because I think that for us, at least Lacey and I, we've seen a definite slowdown of houses, single family houses, especially above the $500,000 mark. When you go above 500,000, there's a definite slowdown in that product. 
you get below that when you kind of get to the 400s or the 370s, three high 300s. Yeah, like there's still a lot of competitive pricing and a lot of a lot of interest, a lot of inventory, a lot of people trying to buy that. But yeah, like Lacey said, I mean, townhomes are still crushing, and then condos. And I think that's really what it is: is that there's just more and more younger people in the state trying to buy, and they're saying, "Hey, you know what? I don't really care if I do have a yard." Because that's less maintenance for me. The HOA will just take care of everything. So townhomes and condos are the new single-family home for right now. They are. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think we're nearing the top of the market. Although, by saying that, I don't think there's going to be a massive dip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not giving out, you know, um, loans on stated income to school teachers for a million dollars, you know, for a million dollar home hmm. or, right. you know, to someone that actually doesn't have a job. They stated income loans were one of the, the most insane things I've ever heard of. Um, yeah. a- along with being able to buy and, and sell a house before it's even finished for a 20 to $50,000 equity bump. And, and that, you know, so there's a lot of things that have been put into place and that are also different from from the last up cycle. However, just like you guys, we're planning for a big dip. So what if vacancy does go up to 10, 12%, 15%? Mm-hmm. Some of these assets we're buying, they're not in a Utah or a Boise that has mm-hmm. massive, massive job growth. We just made an offer in Springfield, Missouri uh, for 13 million on two buildings. And we knew that if if it was 20% vacant, all expenses was, would still be covered. Right. And that's how we recession-proof ourselves. We also have mm-hmm. six months of working capital. Okay, so here's the crazy thing that I wanted to talk about with you guys. And maybe you're better at your job than I am. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I have a lot of clients that have bought these edge homes, townhomes, and these condos and edge homes, single-family homes, just mm-hmm. like you guys. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic investment vehicle. But I, I started asking them last year, like, hey, how many months of, of a mortgage payment do you have saved up? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, let's, let, if the market crashed, I mean, how much of your cash flow have you saved to pay your mortgage for two or three or four months? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, no, I've just, you know, I, I bought a car, so my cash flow is going towards paying off the car, which is fine after a certain point. But <laughs> I don't even know if it's fine. You got to have a contingency fund, you know, you got to have that working capital fund. Yeah. So the thing that we have found, yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. Because like what we have found is that probably one of the more difficult things when you start to get more and more units we have found is the cash reserves for the loan. Yep. And so having that cash reserves is huge just to be able to get loans. And that starts as you get more and more units, you need to have more and more cash reserves. And that has been probably in the past, one of the biggest sources of stress for us is making sure that we have that cash reserves to qualify to get the loans to buy the properties. And so it's kind of acting as a double whammy where at this point we have, we have stocked up a nest egg of cash reserves that almost acts doubly as the, the safety net for the rentals, which has happened sometimes where it's like, oh crap, like this one's empty. We got to pay this month's mortgage and whatever, and we don't have a renter in there or whatever. That happens occasionally. And so the, the cash reserves is just kind of, it acts as a double for both the lending as well as for your safety net. Absolutely. And then there's not that stress, you know what I mean? Like if you do have to pay, you know, we've, we've always kind of operated that way that like, we don't even think about that money as our money, that yeah. the cash flow coming in. It's like in a totally separate account, business account. We don't touch it unless we need it for like rentals. So that's huge. You know, we had a, a renter move out of our Edgetown home in January of this year. And I was like, well, what are you doing? You know, you still have six months on your contract. She said, right. Oh yeah, no, I'm not going to pay. I, I got married. And so I, I can't pay. I'm like, well, no, you have to pay. I mean, you're going to pay. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm, she was a single mom with four kids. I, I want to help people where I can. So I said, look, you're going to pay until I find a renter. And she ended up damaging the unit quite a bit when she moved out. She didn't pay that month of rent. 
but I found a renter within a month, but it ended up being about $100 less probably than I should have gotten. So I had to pay a mortgage for one month on my own. I had to give them a deal. Anyways, long story short, she still owes me about $1,400. She was a great renter while she was there. She just got married and decided she didn't want to perform on her lease. And so you know, I can take her to small claims court and I can get that money out of her. And, and we're still kind of talking about whether she's actually going to pay me or not. But at the end of the day, I wasn't stressed as far as how am I going to pay the mortgage? Mm-hmm. Because there was money set aside. And I, I planned on people not necessarily being reliable, you know, to always pay, pay that mortgage. So yeah, I mean, you, you have to have some type of contingency plan. And and the last thing you want is have to dip out of your own income and the money to pay your own bills yeah. to pay for this investment property. That should never happen. And so every month I'm putting away a couple hundred bucks, whether I have expenses or not, into my expense fund. Yeah. Um, and you know I've had floods in, in different units. I've had crazy things happen. Have you guys had any? Most of the stuff you bought is new, bought new, I think, but Mm-hmm. Have you had any crazy expenses come up that you didn't plan for? Yeah. I'll tell this Oh, story. Eli, this is, with your... It's kind of a fun one. So yeah, the duplex I bought was built in the late 1970s and it was pretty junky. And I remember Lacey and I were actually eating lunch at Red Rock downtown and it was during the wintertime and there was this huge snowstorm that happened. I don't know if you remember, but there was this huge snowstorm in like 2013 or something. Yeah. Massive. And I got to is that the one where all the cars got trapped on the freeway? Yeah. And like tree branches broke like everywhere. It was very wet. It was a very wet snow. It wasn't that champagne snow. And I get this text from we're eating their lunch like at noon. And I get this text from the renter and he says, Hey, the, the basement is flooded. And I remember looking at the text and I turned to Lace and I go, this is it. This is that text that you hear about in all the books. Like when you read on bigger pockets and you read on all this stuff, it's here, you know, and I kind of knew that something like that was going to happen. And so I had a fair amount of, of cash in there and it ended up being like uh, $3,000 or something like that. And you asked a very wonderful question when I told you the story at lunch, you said, Hey, did insurance pay for that? And the answer is no. And I, I probably could have done more to probably push for it, but this was early on and I probably should have done more with that. And when I hear stuff with your story where it's like, Hey, this renter moves out, and she damages the property or they damage the property and all this, there's almost kind of this mental thing that I have to do where I say, you know what? I just have to accept the fact that there's going to be some damages. Yep. And then all of a sudden I can kind of like sleep better at night, you know? Yeah. I tell, there's a, a weird kind of metaphor to this is I used to do paintballing a lot where I'd go play paintball. And in the very beginning, before we'd go paintballing, I'd turn around and I'd tell my friend, just shoot me in the back. Like, just do it. Like point blank. You got to do it. And they'd shoot me and I go, great, there we go. I know what it feels like. Now I'm not so scared of getting shot, you know, and kind of like that with rentals that you have to just kind of assume that it's going to happen so that when it does, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm ready for it. Right. Because I think like, to your point, um, it's like, even with the new construction, you've got to know going in and we've, we've had to tell like our investors as well, like you're going to have a tenant in there. And especially if you accept a pet, this is going to be messy when you turn it over. But what you need to hedge against is you need to get enough in security deposit and you need to get enough, or you need to let them know that this amount is going to be non-refundable. And then really it can be like brand new again, if you do paint Mm touch-ups and steam clean, clean the carpets, get everything professional cleaners in it, it can be okay. You know, that's so like yeah. $50 a month extra for every one of my rentals right now. But right. just like you said, you got to plan for it, right? Pets are yeah. better than two-year-olds. That's what I say. <laughs> one of them is a prote- protected class though. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Lacey, sorry to cut you off. Did you have anything to pay? Oh, no, about? that was that. That was that. Well, you know, one thing you guys have done really well is leveraged one of the best builders in Utah. I feel like they're the best builder in Utah to work with is edge homes mm-hmm. and I will, I will promote them without any reservation specifically because they've grown the same time I've grown. So they started, you know, during the downturn, they started building homes. They got very popular and there's, I've worked for uh, Patterson homes and I've worked for the fourplex investment group and I've worked for um, not four, but very, very close with edge homes for years now. And, the one thing that Edge has done really well, in my opinion, is 
every builder fall falls short sometime. You know, there's always a subcontractor or an employee that screws something up. For instance, the, my most recent townhome purchase, I was messing with the garage door because it wouldn't go up and down. It literally fell apart and fell down on my head. Oh my and gosh. Luckily I caught it. Luckily, and my renter was out of the way and it didn't hurt them. But in less than 24 hours, Edge had someone there fixing it. Right. Oh, yeah. And another story is I have these investors. It was their first, their second house hack. And the plumber had capped the drain pipe. And so there was mold growing under the floor. And, oh, my. and my man, my client was ready to fight. They were, they were going to take Edge Homes down. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, right. let's just ask them to fix it. And so we called the warranty department and guess what? They ripped out all of the flooring, did mold mitigation and put everything back in. And that's, that's why I bring clients to edge as opposed to these other builders. I don't have anything against Patterson at all, but um, mm -hmm. you know, there's different builders that absolutely don't care about quality. And then when there's warranty items that come up, it's six months later and it still hasn't been fixed. And, and they just don't care. And, and so I love that Edge has a very, very high standard for taking care of anything that should fall under warranty. Yeah. And um, they do their very, very best. They're not perfect, but they're so much better than the other builders I've worked with. Yeah, I would say. Oh, so. I could not agree more. Yeah, yeah. Edge has been, the, the thing is they always make it right. And I feel like right now is the perfect time to do a plug for the guy we work with. I don't know if this is who you work with, but Ben Daniels at Edge. I hate like, Ben Daniels. Just no. kidding. <laughs> ben is awesome. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna throw down Ben Daniels. <laughs> like, seriously. No, Ben Daniels is awesome. Um, Edge Holmes, he's their top agent, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. For a reason, he's a stud. He likes fast cars as well, so we get along. <laughs> I don't work with him, but it's because my neighbor and my one of my very, very good friends is David Hodges, mm. and then one of my other very, very good friends who I've been working out at, you know, five thirty in the morning with for the past six years is. Steven Maddox. So I have two edge agents that I work with. Yeah. We should have I mean, like an edge off. We should have them like compete, you know, <laughs> <laughs> how would we compete? Cause Ben's already got them on sales. So. I know but yeah. we could do it maybe yeah. with working out, Ben, I go to the gym and Ben goes to the gym every single day. The guy's a unit. He's just built. It's crazy. See, I go to the gym every day too, but I end up talking more than I end up lifting. <laughs> it's all about who I work out with. I guess that's the issue, that's but no, I, I love Edge Homes. There's builders I would not work with in Utah. I'm not going to name them now, but if you're thinking about buying, call me because I I bought one property and the Joyce the the board the Joyce that you know holding up the the house sitting on top of the foundation walls were underspanned, which means they couldn't support the load. And if you walked into the kitchen, it was bouncy. You could bounce up and down, which is never a good oh deal. Goodness, yeah. I mean, that's why we got an amazing price on it. But when I called the president of the company, who I know, I said, look, you guys screwed up. I'm not going to sue you, but I'd love for you to come back and fix this, make it right. And he said, no, no, you can go ahead and sue me. You'll never win. We'll, we'll drag it out in court. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, wow. this is a very successful big builder in Utah. It's not Ivory. It's not Edge. It's not Patterson. Wow. Yeah, it's not Fig. Um, it was another builder that built single family homes and, and I was just blown away. Like, no, you guys broke code to save money, I guess, put in these joists that, and so anyways, I ended up going to Home Depot, buying four by fours. I bought a Jack. I jacked up every joist in that house and wow. fixed it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was amazing to me that they could care less. They just, right. yeah, we know we, we've probably, they've probably done it a lot. They just said, you can sue me. You'll never win. I had another builder say the same exact thing to me. Oh, you, you can sue me. We have plenty of money. You're, you're not going to, we'll drag it out and, and just wild. leave you dry. Wow. So, um, well, what's the best deal you feel right now in Utah? Cause I know I have my opinion and you guys are very, very smart, successful investors. I want to know what you think the best deal in Utah is right now. Yeah. What would you say, Lace? I don't know. There's, like specifically what we have focused on has been edge homes and we are kind of like, so I don't know if you like want super specific, but I feel like where we are migrating is, is much more to like multifamily, the condos, just because of how much they are slotted to rise this year. It's interesting because 
it, it's kind of stayed new construction for us. And I don't know if we're necessarily a hundred percent right on this or wrong, but I feel like Utah as a whole is like, that is what is just going on, especially the South end of the Valley and, you know, kind of point of the mountain that there's so much new construction and yep. we kind of like to focus on very early, like first phase phases of developments so smart. Um, and then not really going beyond even phase one or recommending that to our, to our investors. So well, tell us why, of, why is phase one so amazing? Yeah. Good call. Um, so Phase one is so amazing because it, first of all, they don't typically have like their model home up yet. It's just dirt, right? So when people go out there, they can't see the vision of what that area is going to be. And with that, prices are going to be a lot lower because of that. And I know even Edge specifically, a lot of times when they're trying to launch a community, I mean, it, they'll even go lower than what they're planning on because they want yeah. to get that community going and they want to get houses quickly. Yes. And so it's a huge advantage to any investor coming in to, to focus on that. And so that's what we've we've done specifically. There's kind of this thing where it's kind of, I guess, a pride thing I've had to learn where just because I think a certain way doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of other people that are going to behave differently than me. A good example of this is Twitter. I still, for the life of me, cannot understand why anybody cares about Twitter, but apparently a lot of people do, right? A good example of that in Utah is Saratoga Springs and Eagle Mountain. I look at these places and I think, why would anybody want to be here? And yep. a lot of people, a lot of markets people. in Utah right now. Yeah, exactly. That like the area, Saratoga is like one of our highest cash flowing areas yeah. for us, personally. which is a shock to us. And so yep. it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I live in Saratoga right now, just selling that house. And I sold that house in three days with five offers. Wow. Yeah. And so that's not me criticizing Saratoga. I'm just like in awe. I, I never would have. Different, right? No, you just yeah, wouldn't exactly. expect it. Totally. No, I, I think that's right. And, and you know, I, I feel like um, the best deal right now for my investors is an edge home townhome. That's four mm-hmm. bedrooms. I don't, I'm not going to say I don't care about first phase. I'd say any phase is better than no phase. Mm-hmm. I have a client that's paying 318 right now for an edge townhome. And I told him, look, it's the five, five cap. That's not amazing. But in 10 years, you're going to be really, really happy. You bought a very, very high quality asset in an amazing location in Lehigh, the exchange mm-hmm. Yeah, or bedroom that is extremely desirable. And during a downturn that will do very well, if rent does bump down, you'll have that extra bedroom to advertise. And then you have a pool, a clubhouse, all these amenities that come with um, these edge home communities. And you couldn't convince me to buy really anything else right now. The condos, you're in the same boat. You're extremely uh, sexy condo with mm-hmm. a one-car garage. Most condos in Utah don't have that. Yeah. And so you have all these things that make it a little bit better than the next and, and really recession-proof um, your investment and make it worth that much more you know, in the, in the five to 10-year play. So I, I think you guys are right. You know, If you can get in the uh, first phase and with edge homes, do it. And it's evident as you go to like fill those rentals. I mean, we have had no issue getting like yep. top dollar on, on rents. And like you said too, cause you've got to think, okay, what are my rent amounts going to be? But also what is my exit strategy at yeah. the end of this? If I do end up selling and putting this into something else and that I will say we've done, we've built with other builders in the past and their floor plans were awful it was really wait difficult. I think I know what you're talking about <laughs> I know I know to um not only like rent at times but also sell because the, it was just so bad but with edge that is one thing I mean every product line of theirs like you said even the condo it doesn't feel like a condo yep. it's like this huge master suite like it's just so slick yep. how they've how they've outlined all of their floor plans. It's amazing. 
They do a fantastic job. Well, look, guys, we're about out of time. I really appreciate you being on here. I've been thoroughly impressed with what you guys have done and the time you've done it. You get lucky by working hard and, 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 and sacrificing. And I think you guys are an amazing example of how to invest and how to make it as a couple and as, a, as just two investors who are smart with their money. And, and I love what you're doing. Really quick, I, I would love for you to just, um, maybe we'll start with, with Eli and, and then we'll do one Lacey with, with you separately, but just really quickly introduce yourself, how you would want a listener to, to hear about you. And then we'll do one more thing right after that. Okay. Um, my name is Eli Stevens. I'm a investor who started kind of as an amateur investor and then slowly kind of picked my way into kind of more the professional realm while also having my career on the side as a software engineer. This is Lacey Stevens. I am a real estate agent and investor, Keller Williams, South Valley. And um, I love all things investing and have basically taken my real estate business from working with you know, more existing homes into over half of my business now is working with investors. Awesome. So I'll just say that if there's anybody out there who's listening, who is interested uh, in kind of something we've done, I'm sure that Sam also is in the same boat. Feel free to reach out to us as well as Sam. Sam. <laughs>